This episode of Insights is brought to you by MNP Digital, a firm that guides, protects, and empowers organizations along their digital journey. See how at mnpdigital.ca. Welcome to the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, we had an interesting conversation with Matt Cooper, the Chief Innovation Officer at Volta Effect, to get a, a deep dive into what that organization is doing to support startup companies in uh, in Nova Scotia and, the, and I guess across Atlantic Canada. Yeah, an interesting uh, little background on Volta. Um, it was called Volta Labs. I think they call it Volta, uh, Volta Effect now, but it was started, uh, co-started, co-founded in 2013 by Jevron McDonald, uh, who uh, was the co-founder of the uh, browsing co-browsing startup Go Instant, which was sold to Salesforce, of course, in uh, 2012. Jevron is still the chair of Volta, and you know this is an interesting story of somebody being successful with their startup and then turning around and helping, you know, the community. Uh, the province to create more uh, successful startups. So we've, we've seen it with other people, people like Jerry Pond in New Brunswick, for an example, is doing uh, a similar thing. Uh, John, John Risley, um, who's got his own venture fund going and supporting 25 companies or something like that. You know, I love the fact that successful people, and this is, this is the history of this region, by the way, um, are giving back and, and adding to the success by helping out others. It's a great it's a great thing to do. Absolutely. And it, it's one of the key reasons why we're seeing such success in the startup space. But uh, Volta uh, Effect is going through a bit of a, cha- a transition right now. Their current CEO uh, has announced that she is moving to another role uh, in the Halifax region. So that's a transition is going to take place over the next month or so. One of the things I thought was interesting about our conversation with Matt is the level of depth he went into in terms of how they support companies, in terms of what they're doing to actually add value to these early stage companies that are in their incubator. Uh, one of the things I think that, that fits that, that, that uh, issue specifically is the fact that they're now investing in recruitment services. So these little firms need talent to take their idea forward, uh, but they're not good at recruiting nationally or, or, or even locally. So uh, Volta is now providing that service on behalf of their companies. And I think that's a, that's a, given the tightness of talent right now, I think that's a, a pretty interesting service to offer those firms. Yeah, no, he, uh, he obviously knows his, uh, what he's doing. He obviously was, uh, founded a couple of companies on his own. So he brings that experience to the table. One thing that he did mention that I thought was really important because we're talking about innovation, obviously with this series and, uh, he said, you know, you really have to define what, what you mean by innovation. And, and sometimes we think, oh, you know, it's really, it's really, you know, high level of research directed innovation. And, and, and it really is, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's things that you, you do to make your product or service better uh, or find a new product as a result of, of, of your experience in the, in the, in the workplace. I remind this is a f- funny little story, David. I don't think I've ever told you this, but uh, when I was in my, my business in the early days, I used to really hate the scales that were used to, um, you know, for people to answer questions. 
So I'll give you an example. You know, the one that I really didn't like was, uh, you know, how favorable are you of this company? And they'd say very somewhat, not very favorable, not at all favorable. And I thought, that's a terrible scale. There's got to be a better scale than that. And so, um, you know, I actually spent money and I did, I did research on research and I, I came up with my own scales that are now kind of universally used in our industry. And, and the scales are for a similar scale is how favorable are you? It, it, it's now completely favorable, no ambiguity there, mostly favorable, mostly unfavorable or completely unfavorable. And I know exactly what each one of those scales means on a 10 point Leckard scale. So, you know, that was an innovation in our industry that I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, trademark, unfortunately. <laughs> and it's now used by everybody in the industry. So and you weren't able to monetize that. That's too bad. I could not monetize it a bit, but I wanted to take credit for it because I thought it was such a great piece of research on research. But yeah, that, that's you know, a that's great a, example. Yeah, that, you know, it, 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 it's an example that you know, and I, I, I said this I think before as well is that to some extent, uh, uh, innovation is uh, is an attitude. You know, uh, my attitude was always I wanted our company to be better today than yesterday, better tomorrow than today. And that, that kind of philosophy, that, that mentality is what drives innovation because you're always looking for the, what's next best. You know what I mean? Yes. And uh, so that it's, it's, it's attitude as well as investment, real cash investment. It's what, how you think about your business. And so this series we're doing with uh, organizations such as Volta Effect and the New Brunswick Innovation Foundation and Innovacorp uh, will shine a light on what's happening to drive innovation in this region. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Matt Cooper, Chief Innovation Officer uh, with Volta Effect. Let's start by you telling us about Volta Effect. What is the organization? When was it founded and what is its role? And also, what is its geographic coverage area and where do your supported companies come from? So that's a lot of questions rolled into one uh, for sure. you, Matt. Um, so I believe the initial founding was 2013 or 14, if I recall correctly. So Volta is an incubator for early seed um, or early stage startups, specifically in the tech and med tech space. Um, and I think what you know we would describe is our role here is to drastically improve the odds of building a high growth startup. So that's what I think we're, when we talk on, on a practical, uh, pragmatic level, that's what we're trying to help founders with. Um, we're focused on high growth um, startups in Atlantic Canada. Uh, up until recently, we were in November of last year, we opened to virtual residency. So that means anyone in Atlantic Canada, as long as one of the founders is in Atlantic Canada. Um, and, and our focus is really specifically on taking um, really, you know, well-proven theories and helping the teams adopt that theory and put it into practice in their business. So our focus is really around the one-on-one -on -one support so that it's helping them on a day-to-day -day basis. So and we're going to get into, we're going to get into a lot more detail there, Matt. But uh, uh, before we talk more about Volta, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah. your background and how you ultimately ended up as the chief innovation officer with uh, with Volta Effect. For sure. 
Um, so I've been doing this for, if my gray beard didn't um, give it away, for a couple decades, just over 20 years. Um, early, I've been a founder most of my career, so started right out of high school and started my first company and um, been in the startup space for most of my career in different different um, industries, but uh, really centered around product and marketing. Those have been my two focal points. So um, one of uh, one of my startups, the one called Swept that I started, uh, I think we were back in 2007, is about seven, eight years ago now, uh, became a resident here at Volta. So that was my first um, kind of introduction into Volta. And then, yeah, I've been connected to the community since then and through ma- mainly volunteer um, up until uh, recently, but um, volunteer being, I was on the uh, board of cohort, which is our pre-seed program, um, early investment. And then uh, one of the instructors at our uh, academy program, which is like IDS stage early startup. So yeah, I've been connected to Volta since um, I think it's five years now, just going on f- uh, more than five years in that capacity. So Matt, I got a bunch of questions here. Quick snappers, I guess. <laughs> what, what is the business model for Volta? So we're a non not for profit. Um, we're here specifically to you know help um, these companies grow as rapidly and if efficiently as we can. We don't have any equity stake in the companies, with the exception of our our early seed pre seed program there um, through cohort, which is a separate um, entity altogether. Um, we, we get support both from, uh, the province and from ACOA to help us, you know, facilitate all these programs and, and support that we offer. Uh, but we do generate revenue through memberships as well as incubating the, the startups that want like physical, uh, space here in, um, downtown Halifax. And, and can you talk a little bit about your governance model? We do have a board of directors that, that kind of. Give us gives us the the go ahead on most of our initiatives and and uh, make sure that we're we're towing the line there. Your core role is as a startup incubator. I guess that would be true. Um, yeah. How many companies are in the incubator uh, now? And and maybe can you tell us a little bit about how you how you go about selecting the companies for the program? For sure. So we currently have forty two um, residents. Uh, 40% female, 29% BIPOC founders, um, 40% female founders. Um, we we go through a pretty rigorous process to um, look at, you know, we get applicants to become residents all the time through, mainly through our website, but some, a lot of times through referral, increasing number of referrals. And so the, the process is basically just figuring out where they are in the the maturity of their business and and residency is fairly got some fairly um, clear objective criteria. So we're looking for them to have an existing product, like they're at an MVP stage. Um, they maybe have early customers or users, and hopefully even revenue. That's not a, a prerequisite necessarily, though. Um, they have um, they're working on the product full time. There's a at least a portion of the team is working full time on on their product. Uh, and they have the means to continue doing that development, right? So whether or not that's been bootstrapped themselves or if they've done friends and family or angel investment, it, it, it kind of varies from team to team. And then really what we're looking for is the they, they actively are looking for support to build that business, right? Um, the last thing we want to be is landlords here. Um, so it's really about focusing on the teams that are 
um, you know, understand the challenges that they're up against, can articulate the problems they're running into, and and really are actively looking for support with that. So um, sometimes referred to as coachable, right? Coachable founders. Yeah. Right. And, and typically, how long would they stay as a in, in as an incubator? Uh, yeah. So our, our residency is an eighteen month period. Eighteen months. Um, okay. Yeah, eighteen months, and uh, and then at the end of the eighteen months, it's basically evaluated based on their performance from the the previous year and a half um, to what level of support that they go they um, have post that time frame. But that's a upfront you know agreement that we have with them in place before before they join. And uh, you talked about some of the areas that you're focused on, but uh, in of your incubator uh, group right now, is, is there a common theme among that that group right now? You mean from a standpoint of industry? Yeah, yeah, not not industry specific. There's, um, I think, just over eighty percent of our residents are kind of B two B focused, with more of a it leans heavily to uh, a subscription model. Um, doesn't mean that that's always the case. There's lots of hybrids between, you know, professional services and subscription, but it's our, our key criteria is that they're working on um, a tech or med tech company or, you know, high growth startup that they're actively seeing uh, getting investment with venture capital as part of their growth strategy um, and that they, you know, they're looking to grow rapidly, right? So that's the, the core criteria that we use. It's not to say that there are fantastic ways to build build very successful businesses out there that are not choosing venture capital as a way to grow. Um, are we, but we focus our attention and uh, resources and advisory services around those problems. And, and how would, how do you go about measuring a Volta success? Is there, is there a metric that you refer to as most often as a measure of success? No, there isn't actually. Um, we measure in, in quite a number of different ways. So I think it's a combination of qualitative and quantitative um, research that we do with them. So um, all residents are um, agreed to basically give us continuous updates on their progress. So we've got, you know, a couple dozen different um, pieces of data that we collect on them. Uh, some are qualitative, like I said, like challenges that they're running to, you know, how we can help and they articulate in that respect. And then others are, are things that we use to those leading indicators of health of the company. Like um, it could be revenue, it could be size of a company, it could be burn rate. There's tons of different datas that we, um, data that we collect in those updates. Um, and then we aggregate those and use them to kind of help us understand where they are relative to their goals, right? So uh, there isn't a single... Um, a single metric or uh, one key, key thing that we look at, but we're obviously optimizing for teams that are growing rapidly. So, you know, uh, revenue is a, a huge indicator, mainly from the standpoint of have they proven objectively, conclusively that they're delivering some value to the market and that they can monetize it um, in a viable fashion. And that changes from team to team based on what they're trying to do and, and the problem that they're solving. Uh, but it's really those things, and we continuously collect that on the on the quantitative side. On the qualitative side, we're doing continuous research with them, right? So every time they come to us with a problem, it's an opportunity for us to kind of dive in and, and understand very contextually what's what problem are they trying to are they trying to solve? Not just with their product, but them internally in their company. And then we bring in the advisors that have uh, subject matter expertise in those areas, and then 
you know, have in, in a lot of cases, a lot of our uh, advisors are uh, founders themselves and they can help, um, you know, put, put the, the theory into practice in a, in a kind of tested way and draw on their own experience to, to help them kind of uh, it's as much art as it is science in that respect. Right. So um, I think it's, it's a combination of those two things that we bring together and then it's the regular cadence of updates. Right. So at a minimum, we're touching base with them once every couple months. Um, it's a, it's a, a leading indicator of an unhealthy relationship if that's the only time we're talking to them. I'm looking to have multiple touch points in between those two months. And that's one of those indications of is being incubated here a good fit for them? Because if they're not using our support services, they, you know, there's not a whole ton of reason to be here, right? Well, you know, there's well-known data about new business failures in the first year or three years. Yeah. Um, now that you've been in business for five or six years, I guess, you must have uh, some idea of uh, the number of uh, companies that continue to be successful uh, over the long term. Yep. Um, so is the question about how many of them are? Yeah, you know, do you have a success rate of companies that have worked with Volto that are still in business? <laughs> yeah, there's a. The, I don't know the number right off the top of my head, but I know you know since since we've been founded, we've um, the companies that both existing and and post alum have raised um, close to two hundred million dollars, and they've created over three thousand jobs, um, and those sorts of there's there's large and small lot you know the, i think the the stat depending on what research you look at is somewhere between 70 to 90 percent of startups fail um and so we're well above that curve um as far as like the longevity of the company and the ones that get invested and those sorts of things so um yeah i think it's it's a it's a and, and it's an ever-changing way that we measure that right because it's not just um the amount of revenue it's it's the um, it, it, there's a number of companies that have been acquired, for example, right? So there's lots of different ways that you can look at, um, and and the building the capacity in the region itself is actually one of the a, a really great um, spinoff of of incubating companies here, right? There's many t- times that teams form around building that capacity. They've been through the the grind that is, you know this highly unprobable success uh, of building something novel and bringing it to market. So doing that sort of thing and building that capacity in the teams here then has that trickle off effect where um, there's teams that let's say do layoffs um, and they're, and uh, you know, I, I mean this literally, there are literally minutes between the time that they announce and the time where those people get sucked up again, back into the, into the community. So um, a surprisingly fast rate of that. So, you know, I think we're, in, we're doing really well in that respect. So Matt, Matt, just to sort of clarify that a bit. So do you actually track the companies after they leave the incubator? In other words, you continue to see if they're growing and, and, and expanding and taking we on do. more funds and so on? Yeah, okay. yeah so we track um, revenue that they've raised. We track um, the number of positions that they, like uh, full-time roles that they have or employees that they have and then some uh, that we invest in we we have um we have the opportunity to collect that ongoing data from them that's an agreement that we've established with them and others that have moved on we have kind of that working relationship with them to kind of do it um 
in a, a semi-regular basis. And there, uh, a good number of them are happy to share that data with us. So we didn't talk about this in the pre-interview, so I apologize for springing this on you. But I, after you discussed that, I wanted to sort of have you help the listeners understand where you fit in the ecosystem, because we've talked to Cove. We know that InnovaCorp has programs Propel. We've talked to them. They are a regional accelerator. So there seems to be a lot of different um, organizations somewhat playing in the incubation slash acceleration space. Where would you see, uh, if you had to define it, where would you see Volta playing in that in that broader ecosystem? Yeah, good question. Um, and it's something I think we're we're all trying to be more conscious of, right? Of the overlap. So the like I said, we we do have good kind of working relationships with a great working relationships with a number of these organizations that you mentioned. So we're doing our best to make sure there's as little overlap as possible, but I would say where, you know, the, the reasons that, that startups come here and there's an increasing number that are coming here is due to the, due to the focus on the, the tangible execution support, right? It's not that other organizations don't do that. It's more about how we do it. So, our models really focused around research that effectively led to the role that I'm in. I was doing uh, just for my own um, purposes of, of trying to better understand where as someone in the community, I could make a bigger impact. And um, so I talked to, you know, a few dozen uh, founders. I talked to government, I talked to investors. And one of the core themes that came out in that early primary research that I did prior to, to my role here was there was a gap between the education that was available, which was high quality and plentiful, um, and the actual application of that into the business, right? So what what startups and more specifically founders uh, wanted to do was get more hands-on experience taking the theory and implementing into their into their business day to day. And that requires, you know, subject matter experts that have gone through it and and can speak to the very detailed nuances that is adopting the the theories and, and making it their own and putting it into practice. So um, we refer to that as kind of like a problem first approach, right? So it's, they have to identify a problem in their business that they need support with. And then we work with them one-on-one to form a support team that, that can help them overcome the challenges. And it's, that's kind of, you know, we asked about, you asked about how we measure performance. A lot of it comes from, the engagement and accountability that they hold themselves to in gaining access to that level of support. So do they come prepared with the the right questions? Do they actually go back and do the work? Are they communicating well? Are the, are the uh, advisors finding them engaged and are they actually making the progress that we set out? Um, It's not always progress measured from the, you know, direct revenue. It's could be about the acceleration of their learning, right? So we practice a lot about doing hands-on discovery activity and testing hypotheses and doing it in a very pragmatic way, right? So it's it's building, it, that's kind of the, the, I'd say the unique way that we're doing it is it's very much centered around their core problems and, and putting that, uh, a pragmatic approach to testing theories and, and helping them adopt and build capacity in the team. Um, and then secondly, I think it, we've got four kind of guiding principles, right? So it's advice and education. And I'd say it's 80% advice and then 20% um, contextually relevant education that's delivered by adopting the change. Um, and then we have 
funding their growth. So that means everything from getting them prepared to pitch to being confident and competent in the act of telling their story in a very succinct way and knowing what sort of an investor is an ideal investor for them, right? It's not enough to just say, I'm raising capital. It's there are thousands and thousands of VCs out there. How do you know that you're going to get not just um, the right money into your business, but how is that uh, venture capital firm going to help you grow the business? And that's, you know, otherwise referred to as smart money um, if you're talking to a founder. But how do we increase the odds of that happening? So we we invest in developing uh, relationships inside and outside the region. Um, we know that capital is going to come from um, many, many places like my company, the last one that, um, or the second last one that I did, we went to uh, through 500 startups, uh, which was based out of Mountain View and ended up raising from uh, companies out in the Silicon Valley out West, but also here in Canada. And that was an amazing experience. And like, that's part of what we want to try and do. So some of our programs are are specifically designed to get them ready to get into accelerators and get them out of the region so that they're getting exposed to more, you know, global and like world performing level of companies. So I think that's really the focus here is taking the theory and putting it into practice and having subject matter experts who have done what they're trying to do uh, and help them adopt the change needed to actually make it a core competency of their own. So I'm going to come back and ask you about the Volta Leap program in a moment. But yeah. uh, before I do, what what other than the incubator and supporting these firms, what else is Volta doing to support innovation uh, in Nova Scotia? Yeah, so touched on a few of those, right? So I think the, the that core problem first is probably our biggest pointy end of the spear. That's the the practical application. Um, building those networks and those warm introductions to investors that, you know, not just will do an intro, but know very clearly what is their ideal investment look like and what are some of the objective um, criteria that they use to, you know, think about this would be a, a viable company. And then we're tuning our programs and support to those things, right? So, our job is to help them fund that growth, at, you know, in a in a high, very kind of high or fast growth and and fast trajectory to get them, uh, you know, that escape velocity that they have enough traction in in their business to to speak to it. And then the two other areas that I think we we really help uh, a lot, and this is ever changing, is how do we help them attract and retain the talent that they need um, from inside and outside the region. Right. So some teams are really, um, really focused on building teams with uh, individuals from this region. They still there's still even though COVID's kind of changed that entire landscape, there there are a lot of teams that still want to try and build their their team here locally. And they benefit from having that proximity and others that are completely the other end of the of the spectrum. Right. They've gone from being a, um, a, a local team to completely remote and everything in between. So I think the consistent thing we see there is um, that they're they're willing and now open to, because they've had to do it for, for very, um, you know, for, for survival-based reasons, um, open their eyes to what talent can look like from inside and outside the region. So we help them, like if they want to build it here, we actually have 
um, immigration specialists that we'll connect them with that can help them bring talent from other countries and bring them here and, and fast track that process and make them successful without having to learn all the hoops that you have to jump through. Um, if they want to um, do the reverse, we've partnered with uh, the Outpost program through Communitech where you can get a uh, employee of record for over 160 countries around the world. So that means that that streamlines the process of not needing to learn all the mechanics of, you know, how do you pay someone in their own local currency? How do you set up benefits that are delivered in their country? So those sorts of things. And that's the, that's the sort of stuff that can slow, completely distract someone from like the, the core reasons why their, their company is going to be successful. Um, so whether or not they want to grow it inside or outside the region, we'll, we'll help them with that. And then one of the more recent changes we did um, was invest in full-time recruitment services, right? So for our residents have access to um, get added support and they're not having to, there's no uh, business model there for us. We actually help as a resident, they have access to, to leverage that sort of support and we can take some of the bandwidth off of that. And that was, that came out of research that we did just prior to the break um, and talked to a number of our residents and really tried to understand like, what are the actual problems with, you know, is it, a, is it about attracting the talent? Is it about, um, you know, there was lots, a big list of things that we could help with. And the most obvious was adding bandwidth and helping them adopt the change and the systems needed to build that capacity in the team. So they're not, you know, going through the process of hiring and only then react to all these new jobs and making sure that the applicants have a great experience and all of the things that they you go through when you switch from, I've got a product with some traction to, holy cow, now I have to build a business that has to support that product. And distinctly different sets of skills, distinctly different challenges. And so we try and get in, in there with that. And then I think more recently, we've kicked off research that we're doing to try and understand the nuances around the, the technical talent help, right? So that means uh, we'll be speaking with um, engineers from uh, our backyard here, but also throughout North America and the rest of the world. We're trying to understand more, more intentionally what, what is it that draws a developer to a startup, right? Who we need to talk to companies that have been, or engineers that have been in startups and go from startup to startup. Why do they stay? Why is this important? Or if it's companies where they're in large companies and now they're going to try a startup, what is it that we that startups offer that we can uniquely position? And then, again, conversely, we want to know why they're leaving startups, right? What are the things that they think they're going to get out of a startup but don't and they end up leaving? So that basis of you know us building viable solutions is really rooted in us understanding the, the things that drive them to make these decisions. So we're going deeper on that because this is one of the challenges that we hear a lot from teams. So I know it's quite a bit to go over, but talent's a huge problem that we, you know, we're trying to stay as close as we can to. Yeah. And Don might come back to ask you a little bit more about that, but I, I, I think if we went back five years, that would not nearly have been the issue that it is today. So it's interesting to see the the level of detail and focus that you have in that area, although there's some scary things that um, that you're talking about in terms of, you know, if you can't find the workers locally, hire, hiring them around the world. Obviously, the startups do the best they can. That they're not they're agnostic, maybe about where their talent comes from, but from an economic development perspective, yep. we'd like as many of those to be in this region as possible. I, I just 
before we get on to that, maybe a little more, I wanted to ask you about the LEAP program. I find that very interesting. Yeah. Essentially, you're helping local founders get accepted into the bigger name accelerators uh, across North America, like Techstars and Y Combinators. You talked about 500 startups earlier. Is there any, just for our audience, is there any concern or worry that once these startups are you know, physically moving or the founders are actually in these uh, physically located in California or elsewhere, uh, is there any concern at all that they may sort of pivot their business model and actually take the jobs and economic activity out of the region? In other words, if we're connecting with these, and I know there's been a number that have done it and, and haven't done that. So I think that's just a question uh, for you. So tell us a little bit about Leap and if there's any concern at all that, you know, it could lead to some of the really ambitious new entrepreneurs leaving the region. Yeah, sure. So, so I'll speak first to Leap. So that the focus of that program is to get them ready for the you know gauntlet of challenges that they're going to come up against when they're trying to raise VC. So it goes from very much this theoretical, like oh, this is what you do, to oh, this is what you need to do to be successful at getting that done. So um, it's really focused on getting them, you know, whether or not they get the the investment. Uh, from venture capital or through the accelerator is less important than they have picked the the high growth trajectory and that they now feel they're ready to get into one of those accelerators. So um, having been through the experience myself, so I went through, our company went through a previous iteration of Leap before it was re, redone as Leap. Um, we ended up going to 500 startups and um, and then brought all of that knowledge back here, right? So so I can speak to it personally um, that it, it wasn't for for myself, my co-founder, the, the goal was always to build here, even when we were raising um, when we were raising capital post uh, 500 startups, uh, we had like a very intentional conversation with our investors around, um, how we were going to form a strategy to get the talent here, right? Because this is pre-COVID times and that was a very real thing, right? Could we find the talent here? And they were pleasantly surprised how easily it was for us to kind of put some some great names on the board as far as who we would bring in to build out that executive team. Um, and then I combine that with, I'd say, you know, since, since being in the role, I probably spent north of 250 to 300 hours of one-on-one -on -one support with these startups and a lot of that is in the funding side um, of just helping them understand what that that process looks like there it's not it's not something that's coming up in our conversations right so i can speak to that with a good amount of confidence from you know dozens of of startups that we're helping um, i think covid's changed kind of the model i don't think there's a single team that hasn't embraced that kind of at a minimum the hybrid idea of some want to have proximity and, and can work more effectively that way, where the others um, are, you know, way more efficient, sometimes double as efficient working from home. And so it's kind of redefined for each team what that looks like. And I think it also has opened up the possibility that you can you can attract some really amazing talent outside where you would typically would have had the option to, to do it. So based on the conversations, there's nothing... Um, there's nothing, it's not coming up as a, as a fear for them. Right. And it's definitely not, uh, we're not seeing it happen very often. And we've got, you know, like I said, startups going to, uh, 500 to tech stars to YCOM. 
they're they're all over the map and and they're all building businesses here right yep i, I just want to come back to a, a, an issue that you touched on because i think it's really important um you know the talent's becoming a big challenge in any business and and certainly in the tech sector it's probably even worse than almost any other sector um i think the fact that uh that Volta has established its own recruiting service is a big deal. David, I think that uh, you may be the only one in this uh, space that has done that, that, that we know of at least to date. And I think it's really, you know, I think that that's a smart move because uh, finding people um, and retaining them is a, the challenge of the day for all business. So how long have you been doing active recruitment for your residents? So the, the research started in October of last year, and then we pulled the trigger on uh, starting in January. Um, okay. And we had, I think the first four days that we opened that service were kind of, we had 16 companies take us up on that. So that's just wow. from our residency. Um, and I now know, I think we're north of 30 different active searches that are going on. Um, and I'm just completing some of the research that in the first 90 days, like, I very much treat Volta like a product, right? Like my background's in product and there's a lot of these kind of core guiding principles that apply even though we're not building software, we're still very much delivering a product and the the services we offer like this one is, is a feature effectively. Um, and so I wanna know, you know, very intentionally, deliberately, we go out and find out. And like, so I'm finishing off the last round of, of uh, feedback from, from teams and there's a lot of really good feedback and everyone's really excited about it but there's tons of ways for us to improve right where if you if we treat it like that never-ending kind of uh continuous research you know look for opportunities to engage and and also respond to the changing need right so the first round a lot of the the themes that came out were around the tactical side right it was they weren't really having find finding uh, any problems with uh, attraction it was you know, we've got 100 resumes. Um, we don't know if the right person's in the first 50 we've reviewed or the second 50. And some of them don't know what they don't know. They're not necessarily thinking about, for example, how do I attract someone? Um, you know, a lot of them are like, we're competing with companies like uh, Facebook and Google. And um, usually the argument to that is if if that is the case, then you're very unlikely to be successful, right? So in the same way that you're building a product and bringing it to market, you can't appeal to every possible person that could, could buy your product. You have to be specific so that you can differentiate your, yourself from other things that those, those individuals value, right? So lots of products doing the same thing. And there's lots of really very uh, enthusiastic um, customers of them. It's the same thing for this. We want them to richly understand what it is that's unique about their company, what they're working on, the difficulty of the, prog of the problem, what the opportunities are for these individuals to progress far more rapidly than, than in you know taking on responsibility and getting exposed to problems that they wouldn't get in other types of, of teams, just from the nature of the work and, and the dynamics of those teams. So we want them to leverage those things, right? And those are, that's the unique selling proposition you're going out to market with. And you have to be intentional about that appealing. So it's part strategy, it's part tactical. Um, and the whole goal of that recruiting 
initiative isn't to take on recruiting for them. Um, the guiding right. principles, whether or not it's this this solution or any future solution, will be um, we're building capacity in the teams, and the expectation is that the even during their time in residency, it's to take over ownership of these things, right? So with with the recruitment, the goal is within the first three to four people that we're placing, we want them, someone on the team, to have been exposed to the processes and the systems that are required to make sure that applicant um, experience is just as good as you would hope their customer experience would be, right? And then that's where retention comes in. So it's not it's not just what they who, going out and finding them and having the right compensation. It's about what were their opportunities for growth inside the company and how do you keep them engaged and working on tough things and knowing that at any point, if you're trying to compete on salary alone, there's there's far too many options for these individuals, right? So just making sure they're close and, and think about that more proactively. So it's been well-received, but we've got tons and tons of work to do there. Like I said, that that's what kicked off the more um, deep research around dev hires because that early research was all talent. Now we know that you know talent or um, finding technical talent is becoming a bottleneck for a number of the like a growth bottleneck. And again, we're optimizing for growth, um, so that becomes something that we have to understand more deeply. And while I have an opinion, it's not necessarily relevant to how we build the solution because it has to be predicated on boots on the ground, real feedback, tangible, objective evidence we've collected from the market to make sure it's steering our decisions. A couple of questions on some of the programming that you do. Um, can you just give us a really brief uh, sort of explanation of, of your hoist program? Yeah, ho- hoist is a really cool, uh, I, you know, this is definitely one one that would fall into the community side, right? So we've got advice and education, funding growth, um, talent, attraction, retention, and community. And I think Hoist very, very well fits into one of our community initiatives. And this is, it was actually, the genesis of it was an idea from one of our um, our previous alum, a uh, 16-year-old who was like, you know what, this is a really viable path to a career. I like, over the moon excited. He, he had an early stage startup and um, he was here years ago. I remember meeting him when I was a resident as well. And so he kind of pitched it to to Volta and said, you know, there are more people like me that could probably see uh, a really um, successful career if they knew about this. And so Hoist came out of that that sort of unmet need in that early teen stage, right? So we, we make sure that I think the, the guiding principle there is we want to bring these types of ideas to the communities. So we actually go out and go to other communities, not just about bringing people here, even though we do run events here, but it's really about hands-on stuff. So things like, um, I think the last one that the team went out and did was like this competitive analysis um, exercise that they did with a group, um, you know, having to, um, contrast the the unique selling proposition between Pepsi and Coke, and at the end of the day, these kids had to pitch their parents on you know why one was better than the other, and it's like it's the very deliberate kind of like how do you take this theory and actually exercise it and start flexing these muscles and forming them. So another thing is like uh, no code platforms. Like there's been huge huge movements in the last few years about what you can do without actually needing to code and 
we leverage it a ton here um, at Volta and in, in kind of collecting all of our analytics. We've got, um, you know, probably half a dozen different tools that we we bring together using these backend no code platforms. There's unbelievable amount of progress that you can make without actually knowing any code. And so those are the sorts of things we're trying to introduce to them. And I think uh, the last time I was speaking with our head of ops, um, their plan was to um, get uh, some via. So we have a, a, one of our residents is um, they create uh, virtual reality content for the post-secondary education. And so that kind of spurred off one of the ideas of let's go down. I'm not sure if you guys have ever tried uh, the Oculus um, headset, but it's, it's fantastic. Like my kids are in it all, all day long. And like, this is the, this is the nature of where this, this sort of thing, there's lots of like, you can go into these, you know, metaverse uh, places and create real assets that have real value. And there will be economics driven out of these things. There will be, you know, we've got one company that's looking to kind of immigrate to Canada that we're talking to that's working on um, this blockchain identity solution that will allow game developers to actually um, create assets that are on the blockchain and move them from game to game, right? So you can see all these different things that are starting to emerge that they're rooted in like what children and these early teenage years are now becoming completely comfortable with. And so it'll change the trajectory of all of this. So Hoist is is definitely kind of that long-term vision. What's the 20-year thing out, out there and how do we make sure we're seeding that you know, healthy pipeline of entrepreneurs in in our um, in our community, and they can be you know anywhere. But hopefully, see them with looking at uh, entrepreneur and building a company, or being part of an existing one, or joining one as an incredibly viable career for them. So, I think that's kind of the goal of Hoist. You also recently announced a new program to support artificial intelligence (AI) and accelerate the creation and adoption of AI solutions. This is a big topic area, obviously. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that initiative and, and what you are hoping to achieve? Yeah, for sure. So th this is in uh, collaboration with Scale AI. Um, so it's specifically around helping um, teams that are working on supply chain related um, problems, right? So they're building solutions that help improve uh, efficiency, effectiveness of supply chain, um, and so it's anyone in Canada. It's not. It's not just geographically restricted to Atlantic Canada. Um, and uh, for eligible teams, that would go through like an evaluation process of how they're applying AI and what they're what they're building and how it relates to supply chain. Uh, they're awarded uh, 14k, and it can be used for anything that helps them grow their startup. Right. So it's really focused around them and and i think the the larger envelope of you know or the the umbrella idea about what um the ai program is is meant to do is open teams minds to how you can leverage it like again if you guys i'm sure you're close to it as well the pace at which this stuff is changing is like it's crazy like it, you can barely keep up with it and so um, there's probably, you know, a new announcement every other week around the advancements of whether or not it's, you know, GTP3 or uh, the new, there's OpenAI is kind of leading the charge there with a number of different practical applications, but there's so many different ways that you can leverage AI to solve problems that you can't do with, with any other mechanism, right? So it's sol solving supply chain focus problems at scale 
um, and really the focus is to help teams adopt um, adopt this AI, build solutions that are leveraging AI and help them do their jobs better, right? Like it's, it has, it, it's, it's big implications, but it, it has very practical focus, right? It's, it's like help them in, incorporate these types of technologies into the products that then you're using on a day-to-day basis. And like a previous team that I was with before um, being in this role at Volta was working on NLP. So I got exposed to uh, natural language processing. So all the different um, ways that you can use AI to uh, improve in that context, it was improve the quality of written requirements for very, very, the engineering of very complex systems. And the the amount of, you know, over the course of the two years that I was with the team, we moved from, you know, we 10x the value of the product in, in what the seats cost from, you know, when we started to when, um, when I had headed out to this role and we didn't change the functionality of the product at all. It was just about finding where that, that application was going to have the biggest impact. And I think that's, that's the heart of what I think AI, the, that program is all about. How do we actually incent these teams to adopt these technologies and leverage them so that they're, they're building uh, things that otherwise couldn't be built. Matt, just a couple of questions to end our conversation today. The first one, both of them are actually higher level. We'd like you to step back a little bit from your role at Volta and think a little uh, more sort of broadly. The first one is, is, you know, I've been a bit concerned by that annual innovation scorecard that the Conference Board of Canada publishes every year. Nova Scotia stands out. It has a very high level of public sector investment in R&D. And it actually has pretty good investment uh, in R&D in the university sector. So with the medical school, there's a above average number of articles published by Nova Scotia researchers in scientific journals. But then it doesn't seem to be translating that very, very well into business investment in R&D. So if you look at those numbers from Stats Canada, they're relatively low in the country. That's really an Atlantic Canada problem, too, interestingly enough. So I guess the, the question here for you at a higher level is how come this sort of relatively high level of investment in public sector R&D and in university R&D isn't translating that much or as much as we might like to see it into businesses and business level R&D. So, so what, what's your thoughts around that and how do we get more businesses, not just universities, not just governments, but businesses to invest more in, uh, in innovation? It's a good question. I think it's a complicated one. You know, it's a bit fuzzy, but I think one of the, you know, one of the things that I think we can probably do better at is first kind of changing the the language that we use around around innovation. It's kind of abstract, right? Like there's, you ask ten people what innovation is, you'll probably get a dozen answers, right? And and so that's part of the problem. I think there's not a clear, true, clear understanding of what innovation is, and that makes it different things to different people. So there's um, there's not that clear uh, and objective understanding. I think the way that I think about it and, and a lot of the times that we talk about it, the, my role specifically is chief innovation officer. So like, what does that mean? Um, I can think of, I'll give you my practical example or my, my kind of uh, boots on the ground with the teams that I'm working with is innovation is, is not necessarily about applying technology. It's about bringing novel solutions to really tough problems. And there's lots of different ways to do that. So I think that would help is redefining the conversation a little bit around 
this the abstract neighbor nature of the language that we're using and really kind of getting down to what specific problems do we think are negatively impacting the, the businesses that could benefit from innovative approaches, right? Um, and if we're doing that, then the conversation shifts from um, innovation to uh, really, really tough problems with really negative impacts. And, and that starts changing the conversations between the businesses and the innovators of, you know, not solution first, it's problem first. It's what is it, what, what challenge are you up against? What uh, progress are you being impeded to make, right? That you cannot. And if you start there, if we start the conversation there, um, innovation is more of like, I think the philosophy around what you're doing and why you do it and how you do it. And, and it can take the form of many different, um, different things. So I think part of it to answer your question directly is there's just not a really strong comprehension of what innovation is. Um, and then I think, you know, from a, an adoption perspective, it's, it's focusing on, um, uh, you know, that the viability of a solution and, and it being adopted is really a function of how urgent the need is to make that progress and how unsatisfied people are with their current state, right? And that's, that's like, you know, there's out of the 90% of startups that fail, um, and this is all different industries and all different, it's not just um, uh, the ones that we have here. Um, I think it's just over 70 70% fail because they build a solution that no one wants to pay for or use. So that's a really obvious start from my perspective, right? If you start having the conversation of the problem first, and we do a lot of work when we're coaching teams around that is what is the, you know, you, they'll often lead with the solution and that's great. That's what innovators have to do. They're, they're, they're thinking critically. They're thinking of new, new ways to tackle problems. But to commercialize it requires, you know, the market doesn't care about your solution, right? It, it really doesn't. It, it focuses on making progress or solving a problem that's that's not only urgent but pervasive, right? And so those are the, you look at teams that are, you know, are disproportionately more successful. They've got a, a much richer and more nuanced understanding of that problem. And then that allows them to come up with and iterate much more rapidly than those that are building features, right? So there's a concept in um, in product um, that that's used like when you're trying to hire a product person. I talk to I coach teams all the time through this. Is what type of a business you know what type of product team are you looking for, right? Because there's the the project management aspect of any product manager's role, which is about you know, running the the mechanics of the methods that you're using, it's scheduling, it's communication, those sorts of things. And then there's the other side, which is, are you focused on a problem of collecting empirical evidence to test your theory that if you build your solution, it will actually deliver value? And those are more product-centric teams instead of feature teams, right? And so it it's not like I can say probably the first half of my career was building was, you know, leading feature teams because the people tell me these are the things they want. And you're like, well, this seems quite obvious. Let's go build the things that they're asking for. And even there's even tools built around it. Like let's count the number of people that asked for this feature. And well, that, that is clearly the most obvious place we put our resources. Unfortunately, it's deceptively easy to build the wrong thing. Right. And then you end up shipping this feature and no one uses it. And, 
until you actually understand that core problem, innovation is is kind of like it's a function of that understanding, right? So I think going back to your original question, how can we do it? I think it's becoming more curious about what that kind of underlying core reason why a problem exists and what the nuances of it are, who has it specifically, what specific impact is it making that's negative and they're trying to avoid, and and what how would they describe success in the future without talking about the solution, right? Like what what outcomes would they have? And that's optimizing for a specific outcome as opposed to an output of a team, right? And so there's there's lots of the these are not new concepts. This is kind of lean startup 101. Um, but uh, all that being said, this is the different. You know, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. It's it's hard, right? So it, all of these things are out there. I think this is where coming back to the original question you had around where we're different is. This is what we're trying to focus on. We're trying to make sure the teams understand that there's a difference between theory and practice. And, and being innovative is, is adopting the practices that lead to the acceleration of learning. And then it's that compounding knowledge that allows you to bring things to market more rapidly and more successfully. Uh, Matt, uh, just a quick final question. Um, you know, as a chief innovation officer, how bullish are you about the state of innovation in Nova Scotia and the future of innovation in the province? I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't bullish. I don't think, right? I'd be the wrong person. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm completely biased, and I know it. Um, I'm very bullish. I think there's it's never been it's never been easier to build a product. It's never been cheaper to build a product. It's never been uh, there's never been as much energy around. I think people wanting to to solve problems. There's this new appetite, I think, around like red, that the, these core concepts that we've talked about today resonating with teams. I've seen far fewer, you know, disconnects between founders and, and the teams that um, each other, they understand that these things are adopting new behaviors and new approaches because they're starting. I had one literally yesterday with like, it was a founder saying, you know what? I did it again. I went out and built, built a feature and I really need to, I got to get out of that, that, you know, muscle memory of just building what the customers asked for. And they, they had asked for support in building that capacity in one of their team members. So I think this is it. Like the, the appetite is there. And that's why like it's grounded in real conversations that I'm having with, with real founders building real things that are solving real problems. So extremely bullish, extremely bullish. We'll probably be that way for, for some time to come. <laughs> well, we need bullish for sure. Matt, thanks yeah. very much for joining us on the Insights Podcast. We want to wish uh, Volta Effect and, and you uh, every success uh, going forward. Awesome. Yeah, enjoy the conversation. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week. This episode of Insights was brought to you by MNP Digital, a firm that guides, protects, and empowers organizations along their digital journey. See how at mnpdigital.ca.